Well, I'd like to take an opportunity to say good morning. Thank you very much for that. Uh, my name is Chris Zarba, as he said, and I'm very thrilled to be here. I was here two years ago, uh, and I, we spoke all in the dining room because people had to spread out. This is my first time in the tab, actually, at all, so I'm thrilled to be here this morning. My family's coming up, and we're going to the Binder Zoo, which is really fun. So we're, I'm going to have a good Father's Day as well. Hey, here's what I want to do. I want to introduce today's topic by doing something a little different. I want you to find somebody next to you, and I want you to look at them face-to-face and do not break eye contact. And I want you to shake their hand right now. Everybody find someone, shake their hand, continually shake, continually shake, do not break eye contact, and do me a favor, as you're doing that, repeat after me. Look in their eyes and say, I'm glad that I don't look like you. All right, very good. So today, uh, that actually has a lot to do with our topic today. We're talking about uh, an identity-based thing. And before we do that, I want to introduce my family. So here's a picture of my family. Uh, The bottom row here is Sarah. She's 28 years old. She's moving to Florida next week. Uh, My youngest daughter, Tori. My wife, Liz, on the top row is my son, Stephen. My son-in-law, Brandon, who's married to Sarah. And then there's a pirate that's not real. And then there's me looking at the pirate. So look at this next picture. This is us dressed up at Halloween during COVID. This is us at Christmas. Uh, This is us at a birthday party. And then this is us at Niagara Falls, because why not? So um, I want to go ahead and tell you that today's topic, actually, I'm going to label this as the greatness in you. And the reason why I've sort of selected this theme for the week, and now for a lot of you guys, you won't be in the rest of the sessions, but for those who will be, we're talking about a theme of the Apostle Peter. So Peter was one of Jesus' closest followers, and I believe that Jesus Jesus saw greatness in Peter before he saw greatness in himself. So that's the reason why we did that little handshake thing, because it has a lot to do with what people say about you, right? So let's go ahead and pray as we jump into it. Would you pray with me as we begin? Father, we thank you for today. We ask your blessing on our time together. Lord, please help us to hear from you and help us to respond as the way that you would have us to, uh, whatever perspective that we should have, whatever it is that we need to hear, whatever adjustments we need to make. We ask and we pray all these things in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Hey, do me a favor, uh, for, for those of you guys who were given nicknames as a kid, uh, any nickname at all, it could, but I want to start with a nickname that you actually don't mind. Somebody gave you a nickname and you're like, yeah, I don't mind that. Raise your hand. What is it? Whitey. Whitey. Because I have white hair, they call me Whitey. Whitey, yeah, or it could be because you're white, too. <laughs> but no, it's the white hair, Whitey. I'm sorry, 2022, can't say that. All right, very good. Anybody else? A good nickname that you don't mind. Yes. Caveman. Why, why do they call you caveman? Because your last name's Cave. <laughs> that makes sense. Wow, what a nickname. Uh, one more. Way in the back. Way in the back. Go ahead. Barney. Why do they call you Barney? Oh, like the, like the dinosaur Barney? No, you're talking about Barney Fife. Oh, well, I'm 51, bro. You don't look like you're 51. Okay, all right, well, good job. All right, now, now do me a favor. Maybe it's only adults that are willing to do this, but even if uh, uh, high school students or middle school students are willing to go here, you can go here. But I want to take just one or two examples of a nickname that you were called, uh, and, and it was a nickname that you did not like. And that's like, ooh, it's afraid to say it. But I want, but I want, I want, I want one or two examples, all right? Yes, over here. 
whiner minor? Because you whine? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That wasn't a very good nickname. Okay, somebody else, give me one. Yes. Carrot top, because you're real red hair, carrot top. Yeah, you didn't appreciate that, right? I will take one more, one more. Anybody else? Yeah, way in the back. B-O? Oh, no, that's not good. Yeah, well, you know, yeah, that'll stick with you, won't it, right? <laughs> but I'm pumped. So here's the thing. Um, all of us are given nicknames. Let me tell you real quick uh, on, a, on a fun little nickname that I had that I didn't appreciate. Um, I'm a father of obviously of three kids and I had a, I had a big hornet's nest that kind of welled up in my front yard and I was too cheap to have somebody to come get rid of it. And pretty soon that thing, we need the pood up to about this big. And all of a sudden, like, you know, I realized I need to take care of this. And so I told my kids, I'm like, kids, stay in the house. I'm gonna, Dad's gonna go out and take care of this, right? Appropriate message on Father's Day. So I dressed up and I, you know, put, you know, long sleeves on everything else and, and I, I got a spray and I sprayed the whole thing down and I realized that these things are impenetrable, these, these hives that they make. And so the spray wasn't getting inside and I thought, well, I have an idea. This is the worst idea known to mankind. I thought, I'll take a baseball and I'll throw it as hard as I could and I'll bust it open and then I'll just run away. And then I'll come back several hours later and it'll be open like a hole in the side and then I'll spray the spray inside and then I'll kill all of these hornets. And so I grabbed a baseball, walked up to it and it was no further for me to that light. And I was like, whoo, and I threw as hard as I could and, uh, and, it, and it missed and it went through the tree over the house and I had to go get it and I had to come back. I'm thinking, man, I can't even hit that. I used to play baseball. Now, meanwhile, my, my, uh, my neighborhood kids are on bikes and they ride over and they're like, Mr. Zarbon, what are you doing? I'm like, kids, you don't want to be near here when this happens. So you, you know, if you want to watch, go down like three driveways. So they went down like three driveways and I'm like, this is going gonna, gonna to be something. And they're like, okay, they're going to watch. So I'm like, whoom, and I throw it as hard as I can again and I missed again. And I can't believe it because I'm thinking, I used to pitch. And so all over the house, I'm like, I'm, I'm terrible. So I went and I grabbed it and I came back again. I'm like, okay, here we go, third time. And I threw it and I, I missed again, only I hit one of the, the, the limbs, right? So the thing shook a little bit. Well, all of a sudden when it started shaking, I saw a little bit of activity and I thought, oh, I better run. I started to pivot. And by the time I literally just pivoted, I was being stung by hornets because they're really fast, I didn't know this. So literally, as I turned turn to pivot, I'm being stung, and I started running, and I started flailing all around, going, just screaming, ah, ah, because they really hurt. And then I fell, and I hit the driveway, and I broke my wrist, by the way. I broke my wrist, and then I get up, and I ran all the way over to where the kids were, and I'm standing there, and finally they were gone, and I'm on my knees, and I'm going, ah, 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 and they looked over at me, and the kids go, Mr. Zarbaugh, that was awesome. <laughs> And I was like, man, and then, for, and then after that, guess what? Every time they saw me, they're like, hey, how's Justin Verlander? How's it going, buddy? And they called me Verlander all the time because, you know, listen, here's the end of the story. That's the nickname part. But the end of the story is I finally called the Hornet guys and the Hornet guys come out and they, you know, put a bag over it and they tied it and they snipped it and, and literally, and then they threw it in the back of their truck. And I told them the story about the baseball. And this guy, I'm just repeating him, okay, because he called me a bad name. I'm repeating him, it's not a horrible name, but he looked at me and I told him the whole story and I go, so I threw this ball. And he looked at me and he goes, you're an idiot. <laughs> I go, what do you mean? He goes, we read about people like you in the newspaper. 
He goes, you know how many hornets are in this nest? He said, it's not hundreds, it's thousands. He said, had you actually hit that nest, he said, within a millisecond, there would have been four to 500 hornets on your dead carcass in the lawn, and your kids would have come out and found your dead carcass on the lawn. He's like, man, that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. I can't believe that that happened to you. And then I thought to myself, I'm not a bad pitcher. God guided the ball. I had perfect aim and God changed my aim. So I'm like, I still got it, but, but God's got me. So anyway, I was Justin Verlander for the longest time. And I got to tell you that uh, there's, a, there's a moment, we're going to be talking about Peter all week, but there's a moment where Peter was uh, introduced to Jesus for the very first time. And I don't know if you know this or not, but he was not named Peter when he was born. He was named Simon. He was actually a very blue-collar, everyday fisherman. Uh, in fact, he was a part of a nation that had 600 years of a history of being tossed around as a part of other greater nations' stories, passed on from the Babylonians to the Persians to the Greeks to the Syrians. At this time, they were ruled under the Romans, and this guy was taxed heavily. He probably fished and made money and then had to pay up to 50% of everything he made unfairly to the Roman citizens. This was a guy who was passed over by every rabbi. He was a Jewish boy who was now a man who had probably had a very mediocre sort of view on life and a very mediocre sort of career. And so he, then one day he met Jesus. And then Jesus gave him a brand new name. So here's what I want you to do. Look, if you would, for me on the screen at first, or excuse me, John chapter one, verse 35 through 37. It says, the following day, John, this was John the Baptist, was again standing with the two disciples, and as Jesus walked by, John looked at him and declared, look, there's the Lamb of God. Now, I highlighted those words because there's a lot that goes into that statement, right? Because immediately they understood what that meant. And it said, when the two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. Now, let me just pause there and say this, that actually the, the, the reason why that is a big statement is because for for centuries, they had been sacrificing animals to God for their sins, and what the, John the Baptist was saying, hey, the long-awaited Messiah, the Savior that's going to save the world from their sins has come, and all of that was in that statement, and so John said this, and two disciples followed Jesus. Now, we're going to find out that one of them was Andrew, so look what it says in the next verse. It says, Jesus looked and saw them following. What do you want? He asked them. They replied, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And then he said, come and see. He said, it was about four o'clock in the afternoon and they went with him and came to the place where he was staying and they remained with him uh, the rest of the day. And then verse 40 says, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, and by the way, it's interesting because he's not called Peter yet. His actual name is Simon, but this is written after the fact, so they're referring to Simon Peter, but Andrew was related to Simon. And it says, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of these men who had heard John say this and followed Jesus. And Andrew went to find his brother Simon. And he told him, we have found the Messiah, which means the Christ. And Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus. Now before I get to the punchline of this whole deal, I just wanna pause here because there's a little bit of highlighted messages in there for us. Jesus says, come and see. Right, which is a really great phrase. He's saying like, hey, I'm not gonna explain to you things. I want you to come and witness it for yourself. So Jesus invited Andrew to come with him. And then what does Andrew do? Andrew runs and finds Simon. 
And he says, you know, we found him. And, and, and essentially, Andrew says, come and see. I think it's a great, uh, great message for us because when we discover truth, when we discover, you know, the source of life, uh, the best thing that we could ever do for anybody is to say, come and see. You have to meet Jesus for yourself. And then here's how the story ends. It says this in verse number 33. Then Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus. Looking intently at Simon, Jesus said, imagine this being your first encounter with Jesus. Jesus looked at Simon and said, your name is Simon, son of John, but you'll be called Cephas, which means Peter. Now, Jesus named Simon the rock because that's what Peter means. It's actually in Greek, Petros. Uh, Cephas is a transliteration of the word kepa, which means rock in Aramaic. So in other words, Peter equals Cephas equals rock. And by the way, and, uh, the literal translation is a stone, a stone, a small stone that you could hold in your hand. So I like to think that he nicknamed him Rocky Jr., okay? But imagine given a nickname by Jesus. And you know, you're Simon, and Jesus is like, no, you're not gonna be Simon anymore. You're gonna be called The Rock. Now, we all know The Rock, right, Dwayne Johnson. I mean, that's just a great nickname. I mean, he picked it, but before The Rock existed in Dwayne Johnson, the original Rock was Peter. And so Jesus is saying something to Peter that is not true currently of his life. Basically, it's just like Gideon, for those of you who know the Bible, right? The angel's like, you're a mighty warrior, and Gideon's like, no, I'm not. And the angel's like, no, you really are. Peter is, is looked at by Jesus, and Jesus says, no, you're the rock. Well, his life doesn't look very much like a rock at all, right? but it's going to. And we read as we follow Peter's life, we realize at the end of Peter's life, he was rock solid. But at this point, Jesus sees greatness in Peter before he sees it in himself. So there's one truth for today, and, and if you wanna write anything down, here's what it is, it's this, that greatness begins with knowing who you really are and believing it. Greatness begins with knowing who you really are and believing it. Now, what do I mean by that? Um, I have a good friend, Mike Daphne, who specializes in the Strength Finder book. If you've ever taken the Strength Finder test, and here's what he has to say. He says, we are wired to get our identity from someone else. God wired us up to receive identity outside of ourselves. It's bestowed upon us from outside of us. Isn't that interesting? I think a lot of people get their identity from their work. They get their lot of identity from uh, all these different you know, things. In fact, I've got a few categories. Here's the first one. There is a past-based identity. You know what this means? This means that uh, you, you, you define yourself and you believe about yourself uh, based on something in the past. If you've had a victory, then you consider yourself a winner. And if you've had a failure, you consider yourself a loser. Knowing your identity is actually uh, really chief because I believe that your identity determines your destiny. Your identity determines your destiny. Well, when you identi identify yourself based on past victories or failures, that's really not a very good thing. You know, it doesn't define who you are. That's just an event. Uh, let me tell you real quick, I got a good friend named Dave Wilson who's one of my best friends, I was golfing with him last week, and he was the Detroit Lions chaplain for 35 years. So if you wanna blame anybody, okay? And so 
for 35 years. And so consequently, uh, visiting teams would come and I would come and I would speak to the visiting teams when they would play the Lions. So basically for the past like 17 years, um, closer to 19 now, uh, I have a history of speaking just about to every uh, team in the NFL. Well, Dave Wilson is a quarterback himself. And here's what Dave said. He said, I used to play college uh, quarterback at Ball State. He says, and I still hold the record for the longest pass in Ball State history. The only problem was, it's a pass in the wrong direction. It was a 97-yard interception that lost them the state championship. And even though that he had a ton of victories for a couple of years, everyone called him Wrong Way Willie. <laughs> and so can you imagine that? And it still today holds the record of the longest pass, and it's, and it's in the wrong direction. Okay? Uh, here's the next category, people-based identity. Listen, when you decide to get, you know, when you strive to get approval from your mom and your dad, or you strive to get approval from your boss at work, it's almost as if if they give you approval, you feel good about yourself, and if they don't give you approval, you don't feel good about yourself. And by the way, if you're in high school, or if you're in middle school, we do this with our friends, don't we? Man, if our friends like us, man, we feel great about ourselves. If our friends tell us something about ourselves that we don't like, we begin to actually believe that we're worthless or actually we don't feel good about ourselves at all. And this is because we're putting too much of our identity of who we are on other people's opinions. Since it's Father's Day, I'll say this, dads. Uh, never underestimate your role of speaking life and truth and, 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 and power into your kids. And so I always say this, your kids will probably never really quite remember what you said but your kids will always remember how you made them feel. And take it from a, a, a father whose kids are grown. They'll probably never remember what you say, but they're gonna always remember how you make them feel. Hey, I wasn't planning on saying this, but I remember when I was in, in high school, I watched a Miss America contest, and I remember that she won Miss America. This is on the positive side of things. And, and I remember the, the interviewer walked up and said, can you believe that you're Miss America? And she immediately said, yes. And he goes, wow, he goes, I wasn't expecting that, how come? She said, when I was little, I, had, I didn't have a father, but I had this uncle. And this uncle, uh, every day when he would see me, he'd walk in the door when I was just a little girl, like five years old, and he'd say, wow, you are so beautiful. He said, how's my little Miss America today? And he said, she, he said that over and over and over, and then it became a reality. So she said, no, it doesn't surprise me at all. She's always believed, that's what she was saying, she's always believed she could be Miss America because of her uncle. Isn't that great? Here's the third category, is that it's performance-based identity. You know, you know what's really scary? Is that we actually base our worth on how we could perform. You know, how much, how, how, can you get good grades, right? Can you, can, are you an athlete? And if you are an athlete, can you be the star athlete? Can you have more victories than you, than, than you have failures? Uh, believe it or not, NFL team players, they're in their 20s. I always forget this. I always think of NFL players like, like, man, these guys are awesome. And then I get in front of them to speak to them and I realize they're like 22 years old. And I'm thinking, man, these, these are just kids. And you know what's really sad about NFL players, by the way, side note, is that most people think they're super confident and actually they're one of the most fragile people that there is because they're only as good as their last performance. And especially when they stop performing or they blow out a knee or an ACL, then all of a sudden they can't perform anymore and they just don't even know who they are anymore. They don't even know their value anymore. I'm telling you, 
It seems like they're the most confident people in the world, but they're not. And it's because all of their life, they've had a performance-based identity. Then here's another category, possession-based identity, right? In other words, like the more stuff you have, the more important you are. It reminds me of that joke, uh, the, the one guy who had a Lamborghini and he got in a car wreck and it was a really bad wreck and he wrecks his Lamborghini and he smashes into another car and there's literally car parts all over the road. It just smashes and this guy is, you know, you know, injured quite a bit and he gets up and the police officer arrives on the scene and this guy's wandering around and he's going, my Lamborghini, oh no, my Lamborghini. And the cop looks at him and goes, dude, it's just a car, man, you could replace it. He's like, aren't you worried about the fact that you've just lost your right arm and your right arm is missing? And the guy didn't even know it. And he looks down and he sees his right arm's missing and he goes, oh no, my Rolex, where's my Rolex? <laughs> okay, it's cheesy, all right, sorry. So here's the thing, why do we put our identity in, uh, in, in our accomplishments uh, of our past? Why do we put it in other people? Why do we look for performance? And why do we look to, to fi- feel good about ourselves based on what we own? And you know what, you know the reason why we have a tendency to do these things is because it's what we've done from the very beginning. It's what we've done from the very beginning. In fact, I don't know if you remember this story, but when God first created Adam and Eve, they were the original identity bearers. Look what it says in Genesis chapter one, verse 27. Way back in the garden, it says, so God created human beings in his own image. Can you imagine this? Adam and Eve were the ones, the very first ones, to be made and created, and we are as well, by the way, but they're the first ones to be made in God's image, and they're image bearers of God. And it says, in the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. And then guess what happens if you don't know the story? Satan comes along, and he tries to uh, confuse them about who God is and about who they are, So instead of going to God for their identity of realizing who they are, they decide to go outside of God and try to explore who they are and who they could become because after all, that's what Satan's argument. He's like, don't you know that you could become better? You could become better if you just eat the apple. You'll become like God's. You'll know things. And all of a sudden, instead of being fine with who they are and they understand who they are, they decide to look to other things, you know, to define themselves and to explore themselves. So the rest of the story says this. In verse number 12, it says, the man said, after they were caught, after eating the fruit, the man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me the fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Now, can you leave that up there for a second? Uh, The reason why I highlighted that is because it sounds like he's blaming the woman, but actually, believe it or not, he's actually blaming God, because he says, the woman you put here with me, you're the one that gave me this woman. Right? So in one sentence, he manages to pass the blame onto the woman and onto God. And then uh, it says, then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me. And I ate. So she passes the blame on to Satan in the form of a serpent, right? But basically, everybody's passing blame on their brokenness. And you know, basically, Adam is saying here, he's like, don't blame me, blame apple breath over here, right? And so, listen. Who would do such a thing? You know what the answer is? We do. We do it all the time. We do it all the time. We find our identity in other things, and then when, when, our, when our lives are broken and when we get confused about who we are, you know what we do? We decide to blame others. Blame whoever or whatever we can. Well, the truth is this. The only category that we should find our identity is this. 
God-based identity. This is where true, confident, and secure identity comes from. And by the way, the one who designed you is the only one that has the power to define you. The one who designed you is the only one who has the power to define you. And what God says about you is who you truly are. Listen, I was a high school pastor and a middle school pastor for 12 and a half years. And I've, I've spoken to thousands and thousands of middle school and high school students. And I have to tell you something. When you decide to stop listening to friends and stop trying to feel about yourself, whatever your parents say of you, by the way, good or bad, good or bad. And when we decide to say, listen, the only one who has the power to find me is God. And when we get our identity based in him, it doesn't matter whether it's good from people or or victories in the past or good possessions or whether it's the bad side of all of those things. When we find our identity in God, we will have the most secure and healthy and proper perspective of ourselves that that will literally determine our direction in life. Because our identity determines our destiny, right? So if you don't understand what God says about you, I'm gonna throw up some statements. And here they are, okay? I want you to just let these sink in. This is what is true of you. You are God's beloved child. You are a new creation, Paul tells us. You are forgiven and freed from all condemnation. Leave that up there for a second. You know what the word all means in the Greek? It means all. Do you realize that you are freed from all condemnation? This is what the Bible says. The Lord rejoices over you with singing. Regardless of who you are, regardless of all the mistakes you've done in the past, regardless of how you feel about yourself, the Lord rejoices over you with singing. You have been given a spirit of power, love, and self-control. The scriptures tell us that you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. And then finally, this last statement that is true of you is that you are no longer a slave to fear, but are a child of God. You see... What God says about you is true. Uh, before I move into my next segment, let me just say this. Let, let, me, let me go ahead and say this. Before I move into my next segment, I gotta tell you, uh, if you're here today and you don't feel good about yourself, or perhaps you're an adult and you've grown up not feeling good about yourself, I'll just have to tell you this. God loves you and accepts you and values you as you are. You don't have to perform to get God's approval and there is nothing you can do to make him love you less or even more. That who you are and who you root your identity in means everything. See, Jesus saw greatness in Peter before Peter saw greatness in himself. And God, I believe, sees greatness in you before you even see it in yourself regardless of what age you are. So, I want to finish today's talk by doing something, if you'll bear with me, called Story Time with Chris. (laughs) 
Okay, thank you. <laughs> Many of you may be familiar with this book, but it's my household's favorite book. I used to read it to my kids all the time, and it's called You Are Special for Max Licato. So I'll be reading it, and we're going to have the pictures on the screen. And this is how it starts. The Wemmicks were small wooden people. All of the wooden people were carved by a woodworker named Eli. His workshop sat on a hill overlooking their village. Each Wemmick was different. Some had big noses, others had large eyes. Some were tall and others were short. Some wore hats, others wore coats, but all were made by the same carver and all lived in the same village. And all day, every day, the Wemmicks did the same thing. They gave each other stickers. Each Wemmick had a box of golden star stickers and a box of gray dot stickers. Up and down the streets, all over the city, people spent their days sticking stars or dots on one another. The pretty ones, those with smooth wood and fine paint, always got stars. But if the wood was rough or the paint was chipped, the Wemmick gave, gave dots. The talented ones got stars too. Some could lift big sticks high above their heads or jump over tall boxes. Still others knew big words or could sing pretty songs. Everyone gave them stars. Some Wemmicks had stars all over them. Every time they got a star, it made them feel so good. It made them want to do something else to get another star. Others, though, could do little, and they got dots. Punchinello was one of these. He tried to jump high like the others, but he always fell. And when he fell, the others would gather around and give him dots. Sometimes when he fell, his wood got scratched, so the people would give him more dots. Then they, he would try to explain why he fell, and he would say something silly, and the Wemmicks would give him more dots. And after a while, he had so many dots that he didn't want to go outside. He was afraid that he would do something dumb, such as forget his hat or step in the water, and then people would give him another dot. In fact, he had so many gray dots that some people would come up and give him one for no reason at all. He deserves a lot of dots, the wooden people would agree with one another. He is not a good wooden person. After a while, Punchinello believed them. I'm not a good Wemmick, he would say. A few times he went outside and hung out with the other Wemmicks who had a lot of dots because he felt better around them. One day he met a Wemmick who was unlike any he'd ever met. She had no dots or stars. She was just wooden. Her name was Lucia. It wasn't that people didn't try to give her stickers, it's just that the stickers didn't stick. Some of the Wemmicks admired Lucia for having no dots, so they would run up and give her a star, but it would fall off. Others would look down on her for having no stars, so they would give her a dot, but it wouldn't stay on either. That's the way that I want to be, thought Punchinello. I don't want anyone's marks. So he asked the stickerless Wemmick how she did it. It's easy, Lucia replied. Every day I go see Eli. Eli? 
Yes, Eli, the woodcarver. I sit in the workshop with him. Why? Why don't you go find out for yourself? Go up the hill. He's there. And with that, the women who had no stickers turned and skipped away. But will he want to see me? Punchinello cried out. Lucia didn't hear. So Punchinello went home. He sat near a window and he watched the wooden people as they scurried around and gave each other stars and dots. It's not right, he muttered to himself. So he decided to go see Eli. He walked up the narrow path to the top of the hill and stepped into the big shop. His wooden eyes widened at the size of everything. The stool was as tall as he was. He had to stretch on his tiptoes to see the top of the workbench. A hammer was as long as his arm. Punchinello swallowed hard. Well, I'm not staying here. And he turned to leave. But then he heard his name. Punchinello, the voice was deep and strong. Punchinello stopped. Punchinello, how good to see you. Come, let me have a look at you. Punchinello turned slowly and looked at the large bearded craftsman. You, you know my name? The little Wemmick asked. Of course I do. I made you. Eli stooped down and picked him up and set him on the bench. Hmm, the maker thought, uh, he spoke thoughtfully as he looked at all the gray dots. Looks like you've been given some bad marks. I didn't mean to, Eli. I really tried hard. Oh, you don't have to defend yourself to me, child. I don't care what the other Wemmicks think. You don't? No, and you shouldn't either. Who are they to give you stars or dots? They're Wemmicks, just like you. What they think doesn't matter, Punchinello. All that matters is what I think, and I think you're pretty special. Punchinello laughed. Me? Special? Why? I can't walk fast. I can't jump. My paint is peeling. Why do I matter to you? Eli looked at Punchinello, put his hands on those small wooden shoulders, and spoke very slowly. Because you're mine, that's why you matter to me. Punchinello had never had anyone look at him like this, much less his maker, and he didn't know what to say. Every day I've been hoping that you'd come, Eli explained. Well, I came because I met someone who had no marks, said Punchinello. I know. She told me about you. Why don't the stickers stay on her? The maker spoke softly. Because she has decided that what I think is more important than what they think. The stickers only stick if you let them. What? The stickers only stick if they matter to you. The more you trust my love, the less you care about the stickers. Well, I'm not sure that I understand. Eli smiled, but you will. But it will take time. You've got a lot of marks. 
For now, just come see me every day and let me remind you how much I care. Eli lifted Punchinello off the bench and set him on the ground. Remember, Eli said to the Wemmick as he walked out the door, you are special because I made you and I don't make mistakes. Punchinello didn't stop, but in his heart, he thought, I think he really means it. And when he did, a dot fell onto the ground. So, every time I read this, I'm a blubbering mess. And I remember my son, who's now 23, when he was like five years old, I read him this book for the first time. And I was tucking him into bed. And I was crying just like I am pretty much now, only probably even worse. And after the book was over, I looked at him and I said, son, do you understand the meaning of the book? And he looked at me and said, yeah, dad, I think I do. I said, do you understand what the stickers meant? And he said, yeah, yeah, and he explained it to me. And I said, do you understand who Eli is? And he's like, yeah, yeah, I do. And then he looked at me and he goes, dad, are you okay? (laughs) And I said, yeah, son, I'm okay. So we prayed together. And afterwards, I gave him a hug. And when I went to go in to give him a hug, he reached up to me and he goes, dad, come here. And so I leaned in and he grabbed me by the neck and he pulled me close and he said, dad, I think you're covered in stars. And I thought, he gets it. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for reminding us just who we are in you. I pray, Father, that we would realize, Lord, that your opinion, your definition, your truths about us and who we are are the only thing that matters. And for those in this room, whether they are 13 years old or whether they are 73, Father, if we struggle with finding our identity and the things that we should not do, Father, help us to recognize that mankind has been doing this from the very beginning. But Father, you see greatness in us because you know who we are. So Lord, help us to always look to you and to operate and believe and to have an overflow from, Lord, just who we really are as defined by you. And Lord, when we live out this way and when, when, when we begin to experience victory in our lives, we will make sure to give you all the credit and the honor and the glory for we ask and pray all these things in Jesus' powerful name, amen.